following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Okay, good morning. Good morning. Welcome this morning and Merry Christmas to all. Thank you for those nice wishes back. I appreciate that. It's very wonderful to see what I would call a pretty full house for this day and uh, the season in which we find ourselves in our world. We are grateful. Excellent. Well, it's so good to see you. We have a very special program today. Uh, we normally at this time of year would have a Christmas program in the afternoon. We didn't feel that that was uh, wise for us to do it that way this year uh, because the community probably would not be uh, so favorable to uh, packing every seat like we have done before. But uh, we're going to provide what we can, and uh, if you're online, bear with us as we uh, get the sound uh, levels right. It's a little different in a full auditorium than in an empty one, and uh, with all the different numbers we have today, so we are looking forward to it. We'll have to move some microphones as well, so, uh, so hang in there with us on that. I trust the Lord will bless you at this Christmas season. It's a blessing for us to be together today. And so we are thankful for this time to uh, come aside a while and refocus our hearts on the real meaning of uh, Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ and the one whom we worship. We will do so uh, with uh, music and some preaching today, and hopefully you'll join us as well. Tonight we'll be back at 6 o'clock. I don't really have a Christmas theme for this evening, but we do have our Bible study as we normally do and singing And I'm sure that we will be singing some Christmas hymns tonight as well. Uh, Wednesday, we have our prayer meeting. I want to encourage you, urge you to come out to that prayer meeting. Uh, If you can, if not, there is the option for calling in on the telephone. We don't live stream the prayer part, but at about 7.30, we do live stream the Bible study. So you can watch that as well. Next Saturday is Christmas Day, the 25th, and so... Our men are going to take the morning off for men's prayer and enjoy time with family uh, to celebrate Christmas. And then we will resume uh, normal service times next Sunday, the 26th. So there's nothing different next Sunday than a normal Sunday as far as the times. You come, we'll be here, God willing, uh, you know, unless, uh, unless what? The rapture, yeah, maybe, or we have to close due to an outbreak of... Uh, disease or something like that, but uh, otherwise we're going to be uh, we're going to be here, God willing. So uh, that is the plan for next weekend, and then we're going to be uh, rushing right into the end of the year and the new year uh, in a couple of weeks, which is amazing. So uh, that's uh, what our plan is uh, here today. We're going to open with prayer, and then we're going to sing one hymn, Angels We Have Heard on High, and then we'll go right to a good number of our uh, music uh, program numbers here and uh, interspersed with a couple scripture readings and uh, pastoral prayer and offering and so on. So that will be the program. You find it in the bulletin there. If you're online, you can find the program also on the website in the normal location as well. We also uh, have the uh, notes up there. Uh, The notes are probably a little more extensive than I'll be able to get to this morning in terms of preaching, Uh, but that's okay. You have them there and uh, the lesson will be very clear. Uh, regardless of how much time we have to preach uh, at the end of this, uh, the music that we have this morning. So um, some of you here, I can tell, are uh, wondering about your personal comfort level with the temperature. Uh, we, as you know, have put in a lot of fresh air into the room, and so 
you can have a lot of fresh air uh, or you can be comfortable, but right now you can't be both. <laughs> so uh, hang in there with us on that. I, I, uh, I know that uh, I feel it too. I'd rather have it be a nice constant even temperature, but we don't have the technology for that at the moment because of the size of this unit and, uh, and different matters uh, regarding that. So, but we are trying to stay safe and, and prudent. And it has worked, I would say. It worked very well, so we're grateful for that. Rather have a little discomfort than a huge outbreak of COVID in the church. So uh, that's what we have to do. Uh, so hang in there. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this, the Sunday before Christmas Day, and uh, we've set aside this day, as, uh, as many have in the Western uh, world, uh, perhaps also in the uh, rest of the world as well, to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. And Father, we don't know that all People understand this, uh, even all Christians understand it the way we do, but the way we understand it, the way the Scripture presents it, is that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came down from heaven and took upon Him humanity, added a human nature to the divine nature, and in the hypostatic union became the God-man remains until this very day and shall forevermore, the God-man, incarnate, never to become unincarnate again. And this is a marvel to us. It is at one and the same time a blessing and a mind-boggling feature of the nature of the divine. Father, we thank you that he came. We thank you that he took up flesh and dwelt among us and displayed to us the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Today, Lord, we honor him for that great act of self-lowering, of humility, as we will see at the end of our service today. May he be honored. May he get the praise. May Christ be glorified in this service and in our hearts today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's turn to hymn 225, please, 225, angels we have heard on high. Please stand as you turn, hymn number 
please be seated. At this time, we will ask our kids to come forward and serenade.
I ask you once again if you would please stand as you turn to hymn number 227. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. so far has been superb, hasn't it? Yes, very encouraging and very nice music today. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1, I'd like to start reading in verse 26. Set the stage by saying two things before we read. Number one, you remember in Luke's gospel that Luke has given a very careful, uh, detailed explanation of what occurred surrounding the events of our Lord's birth. He does so by first uh, telling in order the annunciation of the birth of John the Baptist and all that happened there in the temple with uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth and, and John's birth coming. And then verse 26 comes in and uh, talks about the sixth month, that is, after those things were accomplished, uh, the announcement of John. And then we have this uh, new little uh, vignette, if you will, this little historical account of what is uh, occurring in the lives of two others. Uh, The other comment I'd like to make with regard to this is I want you to think about what this means when we talk about Jesus coming as a baby. Imagine the creator of the universe coming, and as we'll say later this morning, not, not as a human king, 
you know, not as, not as even a regular man, but as a servant. And not even really as a servant, but as the lowliest of servants, all the way to the point of death. But, you know, he came as a baby, dependent on Mary and Joseph and others for his sustenance, just like the rest of us. What? When that, when that song said, mild he laid his glory by, that's mild. Yeah. Amen. Luke one twenty six. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Remember later on, the Bible reflects on the reputation of the place called Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of there? Oh, the best thing came out of there. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. If you don't know what betrothed means, it means engaged, basically. They were about to be married. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, why was she blessed among women? Not because of inherent character in herself, but because God laid that blessing upon her. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, much like many of the saints of the Old Testament, like Job, like Noah, men who were righteous in their generation, like Daniel, here was a young woman who was a righteous young woman. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus in Greek, Yahashua, Jehovah saves. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That hasn't happened yet, my friends, but it will. He will sit upon that throne and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist, alive and well in his mother's womb and responsive to the voice that he heard. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Boy, there's been some more revelation going on that we don't know about, has there? How did Elizabeth know this? How did she know this? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, 
for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now notice, by the way, that she did not know those words from the speech of the angel. How did she know to say those words? She knew the revelation of God. She had gone faithfully to the synagogue. She had learned. Her parents had taught her. She knew about Abraham and the promises of God and all of those things that were passed down to her from the generations before. And it says in verse 56, And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. We'll pause our reading right there this morning and and ask uh, Carolyn if she'll come and share the music that she has prepared for us today.
in the fullness of time. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire world should be taxed. Joseph traveled with Mary to Bethlehem. Mary's time had come. She gave birth to a son, cradled in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. The glory of the Lord surrounded him by a multitude of angels singing, Glory to God in the highest, peace on Goodwill toward men. Shepherds came from their fields, while wise men journeyed from the east. The fullness of time had come. With a decree. Taxes. A pregnancy. Manger. A son. Angels' voices. Shepherds. Wise men. And gifts. A savior had come. Giving light to the Gentiles. And glory to the people of Israel. In the fullness of time. The child grew. Increased strong in spirit. Increased in stature. Became wise. Filled with grace and. Found favor with God and man. God sent forth his son. The son of the loving God. Jesus. To be God with us. Galatians 4, 7. But when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. But when the fullness of time came. We might easily pass over this phrase. But it's important because it signifies that there were key events and much preparation behind the exact timing of Jesus' birth. In fact, before the heavens and earth were created, God's plan to reconcile humanity was already in place. The Lord promised to bring deliverance to the seed of a woman. As the time of Christ's coming drew near, the Lord used a Roman emperor named Caesar Augustus to send Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his prophecy that the king would come from this small town. Then Jesus arrived in the fullness of time. God planned the redemption of mankind. At just the right time, God sent his Son into the world. The time of the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection is a time of completeness. A time when God fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. When the angels announced the birth of Christ with their tidings of peace, God God declared that that his promises were now being fulfilled. Ask the men if they would come up to take the offering at this time. And uh, once we get set for that, then we'll release uh, Christy to play her next musical piece. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the service so far this morning, for the music, for the scripture readings, and now for this offering Thank you for your kindness to support us. We don't deserve the least of your blessings, but you have poured out blessings beyond number to us. For that, we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.
musicians throughout history, I think, have put some of their best talent and uh, most thought into Christmas music, haven't they? And uh, it really does lift the soul. Join me as we look to the Lord in prayer again this morning and have some intercession for some. Father in heaven, we are grateful again to be here. We thank you for your kind permission that we would be well, that we'd be able to gather and listen to these beautiful musical arrangements offered by your people. The practice, the hours of work, the skill has just edified us today thus far, and we thank you for that. Lord, we want to intercede this morning for some who have made known needs to us or we have observed needs. We pray for our moms who are expecting at this time. Those many years ago, we read about when two mothers were expecting, and we have two in our assembly who are expecting children soon in the upcoming months. And we pray for them, for the little ones, for the whole families in each case. And Lord, we also want to pray for our brother John, who has asked that he would be much on the mend by the time their child, second child comes. We pray that you would grant this request. We pray for our brother Thurman and our brother Mike. Thank you that they're both here this morning after having a little medical need in the last two weekends, respectively. We are grateful for that. We pray for uh, Stacy's uncle. Thank you that he's doing better. Lord, we pray for him today. Draw his spirit close to yourself. We want to remember the Dodelaire family in France who are missionaries there. We pray, Lord, for new believers who have joined the church and uh, came out of a cult and have been truly born again and are looking to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Thank you for that family, and we pray that you will cause them to flourish as, as uh, just beautiful flowers in that church. And Lord, they're trying also to persuade others to believe in Christ there in that land, and I pray that they will have good success. We pray for the Proto family. Lord, we thank you for receiving their end-of-year report. Thank you, Lord, with, uh, for the help with construction. We pray for finances for that work that they're trying to do. We've watched over the year as they have had to put up a little multi-purpose building and a little kitchenette and a bathroom that they might have that convenience at their place of worship. We also pray for the church that our brother is assisting, another church in, in the city of Colonia, which has a deep need. It needs a shepherd. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up a young man and his wife, and perhaps if they have children, his whole family, to go to that city and to labor there for many years, perhaps in obscurity, perhaps wondering if there'll ever be a great revival. But Lord, regardless of all that, with faithfulness, please work there, Lord. Raise up a worker for that harvest field. We pray, Lord, for people who have strayed away from the Lord for new people to come to the church in Carmelo for the city itself and for the training of leaders there as well. We remember Steve and Martha Anderson. And Lord, pray that you'd open the door for them to be able to travel more easily and meanwhile to encourage the missionaries in the fields uh, over which they are responsible. We want to pray for our brother Scott Williquet and his upcoming ministry even here in this pulpit in a few weeks and ask that you will bless him as he comes. 
We pray, Lord, that you would help us to celebrate a Christ-centered Christmas this year, this week with our families, that the Lord Jesus Christ would not be left in a corner or forgotten, but that he would be the very center focus. We pray, Lord, for a fellow that has asked me to pray for his surgery tomorrow, uh, not known to our church family, but to me, and I pray, I do pray for him. We join together and, and intercede for him that all will go well. We pray, Lord, that you'd protect our vulnerable from the coronavirus. We thank you for the protection that you have offered thus far. We pray, Lord, for our neighbors around the church to learn about who we are and, more importantly, to learn about Jesus through our ministry and testimony to him. Pray for some who are traveling over this holiday, those there are then who cannot travel. We pray for them as well. Finally, Lord, I just want to intercede for those continuing to recover from uh, the tornadoes, the whirlwind, as it were, in Kentucky and elsewhere last week or just over a week ago, and those who lost family members especially. But the recovery has only just begun. It's just a few days in. It's going to take a year or two years to build some of those homes again and to establish those neighborhoods. And I pray for your help as those folks look to get that done. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It falls to me then to read the scripture this morning before the ladies come and sing. And it's in Matthew chapter 1 again, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse number 18. I have omitted verses 1 through 17 because they are the genealogy of the Lord. That's not unimportant, but it is um, basically to show that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham, as uh, miraculously arranged by God to uh, circumvent the curse on Jeconiah and to allow a descendant of David once again to ascend the throne of Israel, and he shall do that even though it's been many years since Israel has had a king or priesthood or teaching priests going about their land and doing God's will that way. But we start in verse 18 after the genealogy, and we read this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's why. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's why Jesus can be the savior of his people from their sins, because he is God, God with us. 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Ladies, I'd like to invite you to uh, share your ministry of music.
Excellent. Very good. Very good. Thank you, Selah, and thank you all who participated this morning in providing that beautiful music. If you would turn your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. We'll just spend a few minutes here. Just a few minutes here. Hang on there, young people. We'll be done shortly. Philippians chapter 2. I know I'm jumping ahead of where we have been. In fact, we ended last time, I think, at verse 26, so we have a segment of text to do before we get to Philippians 2. However, a number of years ago, I preached this uh, same message or same passage, fixed, uh, revised the message, I'll say, um, for this morning. Nine years ago, we looked at this as well, around Christmas time. And I wanted to remind ourselves that uh, Christmas teaches us humility. Christmas teaches us humility. We, we often think about Christmas uh, teaching um, you know, around this time of year gratitude and the, the joy of giving and the blessing of giving as our Lord taught us that it's more blessed to give than to receive and so on. But it also, this time of year, reminds us of a very important character trait, humility. The humiliation of Christ is the title of our message this morning in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. As you know, Christmas is part of a three-part series of events in which our Lord Christ was brought down to the lowest depths of reality. He was incarnated first, then he lived on this earth for 33 years, and then after that he suffered and died on the cross. Of course, that was capped by his resurrection, for which we are very grateful. The command that the Apostle Paul gives us in Philippians and to the church there is to be of a humble mind, to be of a lowly mind and thus a spirit. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We are thankful for God's provision but we're not going to talk about that so much this morning as the character trait of humility. Jesus demonstrated it when he took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible tells us that God gives grace to the humble, and he urges us to be of humble mind and to humble ourselves. James 4 and 1 Peter 5 and a number of the Psalms and Proverbs are very clear about this matter, but that is a very difficult thing for us to do, isn't it? We see ourselves very uh, often as higher than we are. We have trouble thinking about lowering ourselves to serve others or to do some task for them that we do not wish to do. Some have a complex of moral superiority. This is actually almost a normal condition of the human race. There are some who look down upon others, some who fancy themselves to be better than others, whether it's because of social status or race or ethnicity or some other thing of that nature. Christian doctrine does not permit that kind of moral superiority to be a portion of our thinking. But then we must go beyond the question of ourselves, am I humble, which is very important, to the question, would you humble yourself to the lowest level because you love God and people? Would you not only consider yourself to be humble, but would you humble yourself even lower 
as our Lord did. The Bible tells us how not to live. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. Did you hear that? Do nothing. Not some things, not most things. Do nothing through selfish ambition. You have any any idea of selfish ambition in your heart when you're doing something, then you've got to get rid of that motivation. You've got to stop doing that thing. The Bible tells us, do not look out only for your own interests. Part of the reason why everybody today, I say everybody, but so many people today are depressed is because they just think about themselves instead of thinking about others. And I have often said jokingly, look, if all you're thinking about is yourself, you have a good reason to be depressed. <laughs> sorry, sorry to have to burst your self-important bubble, but... If you look, I mean, if you're like the Apostle Paul and you say, look, I look in my flesh and what do I find there, brother? No good thing. Nothing. Yeah, the Lord has taught us that, uh, you know, we, we, we think we're something, but the Scripture says, but you are nothing. But you are nothing. And the paradoxical thing about that is when you recognize that you are nothing and that God has loved you and His Son came to die for you, you have a newfound esteem, not just like this kind of worldly self-esteem, but you have this sense of value, the sense of worth, the sense of the importance of life that, you know, you would think, you know, if somebody perhaps listening say, well, listen to that pastor, he's really running people down, telling them they're nothing. And if you look at yourself, you're going to be depressed and all that. But the problem is, if you're not looking at yourself, but you're looking at the Lord, you can't help but be encouraged, right? Because he is God and he is good and he's kind to us. And so we ought to see ourselves in a very humble way. Instead of being selfish and looking out just for our own interests and lowliness of mind, Paul says, esteem others better than yourself. Look out for the interests of other people. To underscore this point about humility and to drive the point home, Paul gives an extended statement about the humblest person who ever lived. And no, that's not Moses. Although at the time that he lived... The scriptures are clear in Numbers 12 that he was the most humble man on the earth. And you might think, how can that be? He was, a, he was king, in effect, of the nation of Israel. He was one who received revelation from God. He had seen God uh, in the burning bush, and he'd heard from God multiple times. He had grown up in Egypt. He had the best of Egyptian education, and he was next, uh, you know, very close to the throne there in, in uh, Pharaoh's household. But he was humble. But there is one more humble than he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 commands us to look at this example and to let the same mind be in you, which was also in that example, who is Christ Jesus. We are told to develop an attitude of humility based on careful consideration of what the Lord Jesus Christ did and who he was. Yes, in fact, God tells us how to feel and how to think. We are to be humble. The best model of humility is given in verses 6 through 8. Let me read it for you. Who, this Christ, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And here's where the model comes in. As, as good as you think you might be, as powerful as you think you might be, as smart as you think you are, you're not as good and smart and powerful as this one. 
And you're not as sinless as he was either, and you're not as infinite as he was either. The mindset that we are called to have is that of Jesus. He is objectively far better than all of us, infinite and sinless, but he esteemed us better and worth his sacrifice because of his grace and our deep need in sin. He did not care about his own situation, but took compassion on us in our mire. And so the Bible gives us a very concise statement of who he is and what he did. Think of it. He existed in the very form and nature of God. That's what it says. Who being in the form of God did not consider it something to be grasped, is a better translation, to be equal with God. So you think of his starting point as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. He was the creator. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God revealed himself to humanity, Hebrews 1 tells us, in the person of his Son. We have those passages throughout the Scriptures. Romans 9, 5 tells us that he is over all the blessed God forever. This is the Scriptures' teaching about Christ. And yes, we just, I was just ministering to somebody recently, and they asked about the Trinity, and where's that in the Bible? And Well, there's no verse that uses that word. That is a word that we use to try to describe the massive amount of biblical material that describes the person of Christ in, in connection with deity. The fact of the matter is that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Spirit is God, and if you don't believe that, you don't really believe the Bible. If you do believe that, then you're on the right track. But those who deny the deity of Christ have misunderstood the entirety of scriptural revelation. The word here for the form of God is the morphe. We talked about transforming, metamorphosizing yesterday in the men's prayer meeting. Uh, Morphe is the form here. It speaks of either the outer appearance of a thing or the innate character of a thing. And that's where the point is really for us this morning. Innate character is the meaning of this. And you can tell that Because look at uh, what 6 says. It says, who being in the form of God, is that just the external appearance of God? No, it's the actual innate character of God, just like it is if you go down to verse 7. Do you see that word form again in verse 7? Let your eyes find that word. I'll do a little exercise here and let you find that word. You see the form form of God in verse 6 and the form of what in verse 7? The form of a bondservant. He didn't just externally appear like a bondservant. He actually had the character of a servant. And so we know that because these are parallel, and by the way, although they're parallel, think about the form of God to the form of a slave. What humility. But he had to step down through a number of layers to get there, if you will. He didn't strive for position or glory. He strove to offer himself for others. When it says that, he was, uh, that it was not robbery to be equal with God, that was a word that sometimes was used for robbery because it was used for somebody who grasped something and took it for themselves. But the word really here means somebody who, or the idea of holding on to something for personal gain or advancement, for gain or advantage. 
Jesus inherently is and was that form of deity that we mentioned. And it could never be taken from him. It was his by very nature, but he did not hang on to that overt manifestation and glory. His thinking was that it was not so important that he maintained his glorious position, but that he gave it up for the benefit of others. In the end, of course, his lowering himself ended up exalting his glory even more. Why is that? One of the most glorious things that somebody can do is to shed their glory in service for others. How can you only... How can you only sit upon your throne and demonstrate the fullness of divine glory if you're just sitting there on that throne all the time? No, in fact, you know, if somebody that's very wealthy steps down from their position to help somebody who's in need, isn't that more glorious? They don't need to sit in their ivory tower or on their throne or in their palace of a home. If they come out of there and they help others, that demonstrates their glory even more. And that's what, in fact, happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lowered himself, not a little, but a lot. It tells us here in the text, he did, he did not consider something to grasp onto, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. How did he do that? He emptied himself of that display of divine glory. Now, this idea is very confused by people. They think that he... He became undeity. That's impossible. That could never happen. It means that he surrendered not his his nature as deity, but he laid aside his glory and submitted himself to the will of his father as an obedient son. By the way, he did not become a son. He always has been the son of God. But this idea of self-emptying, as people tend to do, they get sidetracked on unimportant things. That's not the most important thing in this text. What is the most important thing in this text? The main idea is that you would have this humble mindset in yourself that Christ had in himself. You, too, are to have this kind of mindset, not to be worried about what the verb kanao means and how it is that he emptied himself of of this glory, so to speak. The point of the passage is that it would get you to serve others, to wash others' feet, to clean the toilets at the church, to give help to others in their time of need. He emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant. He went down to the bottom rung of societal influence. You know, he could have come as a king, and even that would have been lower than where he was, right? You look at the the kings of the earth now compared to him, they're nothing. But he didn't come down as a king. He could have come down just as a regular old man, just a a middle-class kind of guy. But he didn't do that. He went down even farther. He lowered himself to the point of becoming a servant. But he went lower than that. He lowered himself and became obedient even to death from king of kings, past the human kings, past mere humanity, past mere servanthood, all the way down to being a servant who would be obedient to death. He obeyed God to the extent of death, to that low level, but even worse than that, he went lower yet. He went to the cross. Even to the death 
on a cross. Can you imagine? It behooved him to suffer. The Bible says it was promised that he would suffer. In the Old Testament, it came to pass, as the text is telling us here. This suffering very aptly demonstrated the wrath of God against sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And on that cross, when Jesus died for your sins and for mine, for the sins of any sinner who would come to him in faith, The wrath of God was poured out upon him in unmitigated measure. It was so bad that the heavens closed up upon him and it became dark and the earth trembled beneath the cross because of the wrath of God. He emptied himself all the way down to hanging upon a cross. But to get there, he had to be born first and born of a virgin He had to be brought into the world in Bethlehem so that the words of the prophet would be fulfilled. Notice, by the way, how this is different than than another passage of Scripture. And I won't have us turn there for time today, but the passage is in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, there is a story told about an angelic being named Lucifer. And Lucifer had the totally opposite mindset of this. He said, I will, I will ascend to the heavens. I will, I will, I will be like the Most High. Jesus said, I will not grasp that. I will come down and down and down and down and down to the point of death on a cross for you people and for me. Oh, how can, we, how can we not worship him? How can we not exalt him at this Christmas time? In comparison to Jesus, we're not exalted. We'll never be that exalted. We're not that humble. And until we are, we have a, a, something to strive for. We have not humiliated ourselves like he did. You know, we think I need this or that. I'm too good for this or that. I'm too important to serve others. No, you're not. If he wasn't, you're certainly not. What we have, we ought to be willing to let go for others. What would it be like if we had a church full of people that had this mind in them, which was in Christ Jesus? What would would you be like if you had this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus? What would the world be like this Christmas if every human on the planet had this mind in them, which was in Christ Jesus? Maybe maybe, you're in a lower socioeconomic class. Jesus understands where you are. He went down to the lowest of the low. Look at his parents, carpenter, their financial position. They they didn't offer a lamb. They offered two turtle doves or pigeons because they were impoverished at his birth. They needed those gifts of the wise men who came from the east in order to sustain them for their trip to Egypt and back in the first years of our Lord's life. Maybe you have some challenges in your life, in your family, in your workplace. Take the attitude of Christ. He certainly looked down on the world and he saw problems, but he entered into those problems. He came and he offered himself, not as a holier-than-thou kind of mindset, but as a humble service kind of mindset. Maybe 
Maybe you say, uh, and, and maybe truly so, you know, I, I don't have the I will complex of Isaiah 14. I will, I will, I will. But do you have the mindset of Christ or do you say, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't because I want what I want? So once again, we return to the question, would you humble yourself to the lowest place, to the lowest of lows because you love God and people? Jesus did it. He died for our sins. He died, in fact, could I say it this way? You know, we say he died for our sins, but he didn't just die for sins. He died for people. Do you understand what I mean? He died for your benefit, not just to, just to get your sins away. He desires to enter into a personal relationship or you to enter into a personal connection with him. We sometimes people say, how do you know this? How, how do you... How do, you, how, do you, how do you know that's true? Well, we know the person who wrote this book. We know him personally. We have a connection that you cannot have unless you come to Christ in faith. You recognize that the Lord God sent his son to die for you so that you could have eternal life. He humbled himself down to the point of death, even the death of a cross, and he will be exalted But in the process of him being exalted, you know what he's going to do? He's going to drag you along with him if you're a believer in Christ. You're going to be be on his train, as it were. You're going to be part of the spoils that he has won from from the wicked one in this kingdom of darkness, and he's going to take you to be with him in heaven in the kingdom of light. For that, we give thanks. For that, uh, for, for him, we have sung this morning. For him, we have heard beautiful music. And for him, we exalt him because he humbled himself and is worthy of all exaltation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we gratefully acknowledge your divine wisdom, your marvelous plan of salvation that fully demonstrates your glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that glory is exalted because he humbled himself. And Lord, I pray that we would find it too in our lives that you you exalt those who are humble. And you humble those who are exalted. Help us to be humble because we know you want that in our lives. May we be a church full of people that way, looking out for the interests of others, not just ourselves, at this Christmas time. And Heavenly Father, as we gather with our families, Lord, there may be some of us who are gathering with family that don't believe, who have not really personally embraced Christ into their life, who have not acknowledged their sin and their rebellion against God, who have not repented of their sin. and We, who have understood the word of truth, are the instrument this Christmas season to point them to Jesus. Help us to do that, I pray. We know we, we will maybe have that in our experience in the next few days in our own life and perhaps others here as well. Use us to be testifiers of the humility of Christ and of his great exalted status at the right hand of the throne of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with him 226, please. 226. Please stand together if you're able as we close hymn number 226. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how 
pray for you the many blessings of the first advent at this particular season, but I also pray that you'll remember the second, which could come at any time, in fact, even on December 25th, or whatever day the Lord wishes to come. I pray, Father in heaven, that you will bless your people. Thank you for this good group this morning, and for each and every one, many, many who have participated today and given long hours of preparation for this service. May we enjoy the recording of it later as we rehearse what has happened today and may we go from here with great joy in our hearts because we've heard the Word of God preached and sung and uh, its words played to music today. Keep us safe, I pray, Lord, in this season. Help us to be well and be able to enjoy time with family. We pray for Jansen and Kaylee who are not feeling well this morning and ask that you would raise them up to full health and we thank you, Lord, again for Brother John being here and feeling some better after many months of uh, affliction to him. May your hand guide us now. May you be blessed. You are a blessing, O God, to us. You have poured out upon us richly. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Good afternoon.